Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Bibles turn over to Philippians chapter 3. As we start off this morning, I would like to ask you, What do you think is the most valuable thing in life? What's the most valuable thing in life? Some of you may be thinking, well, preacher, I've really never thought about that. But I contend that you have thought about that, whether you realize it or not. We all have a value system that we operate out of. We all have prioritized our life Whether we have sat down and actually written down the priorities or not, we do have a value system that we live by. And you can find out your value system not by what you say is the most important thing in your life, but by how you live. What do you spend most of your money on? What do you spend most of your time thinking about? What do you spend most of your time doing? When you consider these things, the priorities of your life reveal themselves. Some people think that money is the most important thing in life, and they spend most of their time and energies trying to acquire more and more money. Others think that being successful in business is the most valuable thing in life. And so they spend most of their time and energies trying to be successful in business, trying to climb the corporate ladder. Others think that pleasure is the most important thing in life. And so these are the guys that have the boats and the uh, four-wheelers and all the other toys outside their house. They're thinking, man, I just got to have another toy to enjoy. And then they get bored of that toy and they want to get another toy. They think pleasure is the most important valuable thing in life. Others might think power is the most valuable thing in life. And so they spend great effort, great money, great time to try to achieve a political office of power and authority. Others may think family is the most valuable thing in this life. And so they will do anything for their family and try to Uh, do whatever they can to promote their family. And as you look at your life, what does it say about what you think is the most valuable thing in life? That brings us to the Apostle Paul in our passage in Philippians chapter 3. Paul's talking about his value system. He's talking about what he thought was the most valuable thing in life. Now Paul was ahead of most people because Paul did realize that the most important thing in life is to be right with God. To have God's acceptance. Now Paul was from a wealthy family. Paul was educated in the most prestigious schools of his day from Gamaliel. It was like he went to Harvard today, or one of the Ivy League schools. But yet Paul realized 
that the most valuable thing in life was to be right with God, to have God's acceptance of Him. And in our passage today, Paul shares with us his journey to find acceptance with God. And we begin reading in verse 4, and I'll read through verse 11. And let me ask you to stand in respect for the Word of God. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God, on the basis of faith, that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You may be seated. When Paul began his journey to find acceptance with God, he thought having a religion was the way to acquire the most valuable thing in life, which is God's acceptance. We see that in the verses 4 through 6. The first thing he tells us is that he grew up in a religious family. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day. Now Paul obviously didn't have anything to do with his circumcision, but the law in Israel said that a Jewish boy was to be circumcised on the eighth day. Paul's family was religious, and so they followed this and had him circumcised on the eighth day. He said he was of the nation of Israel, that nation that was blessed above all nations who had been given the laws of God, whom God had entered into a covenant with in Mount Sinai. So Paul had a religious family, He was born in the religious nation of Israel. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the more prominent tribes. You remember Benjamin was Joseph's beloved youngest son. When the land of Israel was divided among the tribes, Benjamin was given Jerusalem. After Solomon's death and the kingdom was divided, Only Benjamin and Judah stayed loyal to the Davidic dynasty. So he could boast of being from the tribe of Benjamin. Also, he says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, in Paul's day, the Romans occupied Palestine. And so some Jewish people, in order to be accepted more by the Romans, would adopt the Greco-Roman culture, and they were known as Hellenistic Jews. 
Whereas other Jews would conform very strictly to their Hebrew heritage, even continuing to speak Hebrew rather than Aramaic or Greek. And so Paul says, I stayed with those strictly religious Jews. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I followed my religious upbringing to the letter. So Paul first says, I was born in a religious family. But then Paul says, secondly, he passionately embraced Judaism himself. Now, we, it's one thing to be born into a Christian family and, and to be taught the Bible from the time you're young and to be brought to church from an early age. But then when you get up in your teen years or, or your college years and you get on your own and you make your own decisions, sometimes we see people reject their religious upbringing. Paul said, not me. He said, I passionately embraced my Jewish religion. He says in verse 5, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now the Pharisees were the strictest of all groups. They believed in obeying all of the commandments of the Old Testament, all the commandments of God. He was a strict keeper of the law. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. Paul was so concerned about the Judas, uh, about Judaism that he even persecuted the church because he felt they were a false group. And he was zealous for his Judaism. He says, I was blameless as to the righteousness which is found in the law, found blameless. Paul said, if you looked at my life, you could not point to anything I was doing that was wrong. The Pharisees had taken the Ten Commandments and had developed from those ten 613 commandments. 365 which were negative, thou shall not. They wanted to be careful. They didn't want to disobey God and, and get put into exile again. And so they took the Ten Commandments and they expanded them to 613. For example, the commandment about keep the Sabbath holy, they had expanded this to mean that you couldn't even carry a sewing needle in your cloak because that was carrying a tool of trade. Someone who was a seamstress. You couldn't walk over a half a mile on the Sabbath day. They had all of these different uh, rules and regulations. And Paul said, I kept them all. I kept every single one of them. I was trying my best to earn God's acceptance. If anybody had been able to earn God's acceptance, Paul said, it was me. I did it. I did everything. I was from a religious family. I embraced my religion wholeheartedly. Paul is saying the first half of my life, I tried to earn my right standing with God by what I did. Nobody was more religious than I was. I did everything a person could do. I see people doing the same thing today. A little differently, but really the same thing. Instead of saying they were circumcised on the eighth day, they say, you know, I was christened as a baby. 
Well, I was dedicated as a baby. Well, I was baptized as a baby. They don't brag about being from the tribe of Benjamin, but they say, you know, I grew up in a Christian family. You know, my daddy was a Baptist preacher. If I had a nickel for every time I heard that one. I started talking to people about their relationship to Jesus, and they want to say, my, my granddaddy was a Baptist preacher. Like that's going to get them somewhere with God. All right? And instead of uh, saying that, uh, that they were a Hebrew of Hebrews, they say, well, you know, I went to Christian school. I went all the way through. Twelve years of Christian school. Instead of bragging about being a Pharisee, they'll say, you know, but I went down to church aisle and, and I joined the church and I got baptized. As far as being blameless preacher, I go to church every day, every Sunday. And I even go on Wednesday. And you know how spiritual a person has to be to go on Wednesday, right? And I mean, I tithe, I give. I mean, I, I work in the church. I read my Bible every day. I pray every day. I do it all, preacher. So I see people just like Paul seeking to get right with God by being religious, by doing all the right things. And they can be some of the most active people in church, just like Paul was very active in his religion. What about you this morning? Are you counting on your religion, on what you do to earn your acceptance with God? Let me ask you a question. It might help point it up. If God came to you and He said to you, He said, why should I accept you today? Why should I accept you into heaven? What would you say? Now think about that just for a moment. What would you really say to him? Would you say because you joined the church, because you got baptized? Would you say because, you know, I, I tried to do right, I tried to be a good husband, a good father? You know, I, I gave on a regular basis? I mean, really, what would you say if he said, why should I accept you today? Paul would have said, because I did everything your law required me to do. I mean, I did it all. I mean, I gave it my best. I was totally sincere in doing everything that I understood your word to say. So Paul spent the first half of his life thinking he could earn God's acceptance. But then, but then Paul found that a personal Love relationship with Jesus was the only way to acquire the most valuable thing in life, and that is God's acceptance. He found out that everything he had tried to do was not the way. Look at what he says. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that. I count all these things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul says, first of all, that compared to a personal love relationship with Jesus, religion is a detriment. Religion is really a liability. That's what he means when he says, those things I thought were gained to me, 
I thought doing all those religious things would, would earn me God's favor, I realized they were really a detriment because I was putting my confidence in those things. And they can never earn me a right relationship with God. When he met Jesus personally, he realized those religious things, that going to church, that, that giving, that praying, that reading the Bible, were no gain at all. In fact, they were keeping him from the only way he could be accepted by God, and that is through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He says he counted these religious acts as lost. Nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Lost. Now, I'll give you an example. Alright, we have a, a jar of money here. Okay, I don't know how well you can see that. Yeah, you can see it pretty good. $50, $20. Okay, here's the thing. This jar of money is there, and, and you're going to reach in. You can reach in twice and pull out a bill, but you can only keep one of them. Okay? Alright, so you reach in this jar, and you pull out... Next slide. This $100 bill. Now, you're pretty excited, aren't you? I mean, you saw the 20s and 50s, but you pulled out 100. So you're excited. You said, this is gain. This is good. This is good. And I say, okay, now, preacher. Excuse me. I say, okay, now, you can only reach in one more time, but you got to make a choice which one you're going to keep. So you reach in the second time, and this is what you pull out. Never seen a $10,000 bill before, have you? But there, are, there is such a thing. You pull out a $10,000 bill. Now, what's this hundred mean to you now? It's lost. It's trash. You can only keep one. You don't have to spend much time deciding which one you're going to keep. You know, there's a trash can over there. One of them's got to go in the trash. You quickly put that $100 bill in the trash. That's what Paul was like. He thought religion was good. He thought it was, it was, it was something to be held on to, something to, to, that would gain him something. But then when he found Jesus through faith and a personal relationship with him, then he realized, uh-uh, this, this religion is it's nothing. It's lost. It's trash compared to knowing Jesus. Then he goes a step Further in verse 8, more than that, not only is it loss, not only is it a liability, but he says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing, knowing personally, having an intimate love relationship, not knowing about Jesus, not knowing about Him, not like you know about George Washington, but having a personal relationship with Him. My Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them, but here comes rubbish. Well, that wasn't really the word. The word in the Greek, politely put, is manure. King James says dung. But we all know what it means, right? So Paul said not only trash, he said but Religion compared to relationship is nothing but manure. 
That's about as strong a terms as he could have put it into. You see the picture, don't you? I thought about putting a picture, but I thought, no. I might lose some of you. So I'm going to leave it to your imagination. But he said, compared to knowing Jesus, a religion is nothing. No comparison. He realized all these religious works that he had counted on to earn God's acceptance were useless, trash, refuge, rubbish, manure. What he thought had been able to enable him to acquire the most valuable thing in life, being right with God, was really nothing at all. Because the only way he could be right with God is through faith and a personal love relationship with Jesus. Now why is it that this love relationship with Jesus is the most valuable thing in life? I'm going to give you four reasons that Paul talks about right here. Number one, it's the only way to be right with God. It is the only way to have true righteousness. And that's what righteousness means. It means being right with God. That you are accepted by God. Verse 9, And may be found in Him, that is in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, not righteousness based on all the things He did, which was really no righteousness, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now look what Paul says when he says being found in Him. He means to be in union with Christ, to be joined to Christ. And when a person places their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Bible says we actually are joined in some spiritual way to Him. And when we are found in Him, a miracle takes place. God credits us with everything Jesus accomplished. When He looks at you in Jesus, He sees Jesus. He doesn't see your sins. He sees Jesus' perfect life. That's a gift of His grace. It's not something we can earn. You see, even if it were possible, and it's not, but even if it were possible to keep every law of God and never commit a single violation of God's law, guess what? You still are a sinner in your heart. We all know that. Even if you could not sin in act, let me tell you, you're going to sin in thought. Because we are sinners by birth. We have that inclination towards sin in our hearts, and therefore we can never do anything to earn acceptance with a holy God. Acceptance must come as a gift from God, through faith in Jesus Christ. When we have that personal love relationship with Jesus, God credits us with Jesus' punishment on the cross for our sins. God credits us with Jesus' perfect sinless life. We have Jesus' righteousness imputed, given to us. And it's a gift. We don't earn it. Jesus earned it for us. So when we come to that place in our life that we realize, man, I am separated from a holy God. And there's nothing I can do to make it right. I can try to be as good as I want to be, but I can never be good enough. Because I'd have to be perfect. 
But Jesus came, and He lived that perfect life I could not live. And He willingly took the place for my sins on Himself on the cross. He was punished for me. He accomplished everything necessary for me to have my sins forgiven because He took what I deserved for my sins upon Himself on the cross. And I placed my complete trust in what He did. I know I cannot add to it. I'm saying, Jesus, You did it all. And I trust that. I believe that. I believe it so much I surrender my will to Your will as my Lord. Take me. I'm nothing but take me. All that I am. I come to You and drink of Your fountain of righteousness. And God says, You're righteous. You have the righteousness of Jesus. You are new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold comes the new. And it's a gift. It's a gift that comes through faith and my grace. That's it. You say, but it's too simple. We got to do something. We got to earn something, don't we? No. You cannot earn anything. That's why it's called grace. For the wages of sin is death. You want what you earn? You want your wages? Death. But the free gift of God. And that sounds redundant, doesn't it? Free gift. I mean, if it's a gift, it's free. Well, God wants to emphasize, hey buddy, it's a gift and it's free. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So that's the first thing. It's so why it's so valuable. Because it's the only way you can have eternal life. Secondly, Having a love relationship with Jesus is the most valuable thing in life because through it we experience the power of His resurrection in our life. He says in verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. But you know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is it is at work in the believer, in the Christian. Paul said it was that resurrection power that saved me. Over in Romans 6, he says, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into His death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That newness of life is a resurrection life. When you are born again into God's kingdom, He gives you the resurrection life of Jesus. He gives you the resurrection power of Jesus. For if we have been come united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. So first Paul said, man, I know His resurrection power because it saved me. But more than that, it is resurrection power that sanctified Him, that made Him holy. Jesus answered them in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. So what does that make all of us? Slaves of sin. So, if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. What does that mean? 
That means that we are born into this world slaves of sin. And the only way we can be set free from that slavery of sin is for Jesus to set us free. And He sets us free when we come into that love relationship with Him. Through the power of His resurrection. The same power that brought Him alive from the dead. The same power that defeated sin and Satan and enabled Him to come alive from the dead. Is the same power that will be at work in your life to break sin's power in your life, to break the addictions in your life, to break the habits that are sinful in your life. It is His power that will set you free. That says to me, if you are a Christian and you are still enslaved to an addiction, if you're still enslaved to a sin, it's because you have chosen to be so. Because there is the power of the resurrection available to you to set you free. It's not in yourself that you'll find the power. And that might be your problem. You're trying to set yourself free. And you need to recognize the freedom is in Jesus. In His resurrection power. Thirdly. It's the most valuable thing in life because in that love relationship with Jesus, we have the blessings of suffering for Him. Paul says that I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Wait a minute, preacher. You saying I'm going to suffer as a Christian? What about all that prosperity I hear? Well, you're not reading the Bible. And whoever's preaching that's not reading the same Bible I'm reading. What I see the New Testament promising the believer is he can expect to suffer with Christ. But you know, that's a blessing. It's a privilege to be able to suffer with Jesus. We need more Christians that are not trying to get prosperous, but realizing it's a blessing to suffer for Jesus. Look over in 1 Peter 4. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Don't be surprised. Which comes upon you. Why? For your testing. As though some strange thing were happening to you. God, why, why is this happening? Don't say that. Don't be surprised. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on complaining. No, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rest on you. It's a privilege to suffer for our Lord Jesus. When you suffer for Christ, there will be untold rewards and blessings for you in eternity. Also, when you share the sufferings of Christ here on this life, you enter into a deeper level of fellowship with Him. Band of brothers is a term that's used of soldiers who suffer together. It builds and forges a bond that years and time do not break. There are soldiers today who served in World War II, in the Korean conflict, in Vietnam, that still get together on a regular basis because of that bond that was forged in the adversity that they went through together. When you go through the sufferings of Christ, when you suffer for Christ, it will bring you into a deeper love relationship with Him than you've ever experienced before. 
In fact, I believe that there are depths of a personal communion and fellowship with Jesus that can never be known apart from suffering for Him. That's the most valuable thing I can imagine, coming to know Him in a deeper, more intimate way. And then the fourth reason. First, because it's the only way we can have right standing with God through that personal relationship. Secondly, because we can experience the power of His resurrection. Thirdly, because we can share in His sufferings and the blessings of His suffering. And fourth, that we will be resurrected from the dead. Paul said in verse 11, in order that I might obtain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul knows the final result of having this love relationship with Jesus is that He will be resurrected from the dead when Jesus returns. Jesus, excuse me, Paul speaks of the resurrection in many places in his writings. He talks to the church at Corinth about it. He talks about this body of weakness being changed to a body of power. He talks about this body which is corruptible becoming incorruptible. He talks about it to the church at Thessalonica when he says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed and the dead in Christ shall rise from the grave. He speaks about this future resurrection and the only way to experience a resurrection of the righteous is through a love relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why it's so valuable. It's so valuable because through it we have right standing with God. Through it we have the power of Jesus' resurrection working in us. Through it we have fellowship of sufferings with Jesus and for Jesus. And we look forward to that future resurrection of the body. That brings us back as we conclude to the question. How are you seeking to acquire the most valuable thing in life? And we'll go back to the simple question. If you were standing before God tonight, right, you died. You're standing before God. He says to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If you say, because I joined the church, because I tried to do right, because I I went and read my Bible every day, because I prayed every day, because I I tried to be a good husband, a good father, I tried to be a good mother. If you gave any of those reasons, let me tell you, that's not the reason. Because you were not a good enough husband. You were not a good enough father. You were not a good enough wife to earn heaven. The only appropriate answer is, because Jesus died for me. And I have trusted in what He accomplished for me. That's the only reason. Because His righteousness is received through faith. Have you acquired the most valuable thing in life? You can do so today if you haven't already. You can place your trust, your complete confidence in what the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished through His perfect life, His death on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, and His ascension in heaven. If you'll just, in your heart, say, Jesus, I need you, I want you, I give myself totally to you, trusting what you did. 
We're going to sing a song and give you an opportunity to respond today. If you want to know Jesus, if you want to acquire the most valuable thing in life, I'll be down front. We'll also have some of our deacons down front. You feel free to come down and just say, I I want to know Jesus. I want to have this most valuable thing in life. I want to be clothed in His righteousness. And we'll share everything you need to know. If you need to come and pray, you feel free to do so as well. My desire is that you be obedient to the Spirit of God as He deals with you. Stand as we sing together. Step out in obedience. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our Internet. And I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor. And our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections. Uh, And to my left is Mark Baker, who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what, race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcomed at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org dot org.